The Game Schooler podcast is a weekly audio show that highlights the educational value of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover the Game Schooler news, Ticket to Ride, our recommended game of the week, discuss project-based learning and alpha gaming in the School of Gaming, and wrap it up with the High Five Challenge. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my co-host, Dr. Michael McCabe. How's it going, Michael? I'm doing great. How are you, Doug? I cannot complain. I could, but nobody would listen. I'd listen. I, I'll I, tell you what. <laughs> I, I got a, you got time for just a quick story. This might not belong here, but you can take care of that. Sure. Yeah, yep, I, I've got the keys. I had a burst of adrenaline on my way over here. I came within one inch of a deer. I'm not kidding. Fog. One inch. One inch. It was a quick, like <laughs> I did the, now folks who don't live in the Midwest during part of the United States or where you have deer, the best practice is to not swerve. Me, I swerve because I don't want to hit a deer. And so I just did the quick steering wheel. If anyone's ever done it, the, the jerk of the steering wheel and the brakes at the same time, like the, and get past it. And nothing happened. But I hit the brake so hard. I was like worried that I did damage to my car. So your your Honda handles like a champ then. Oh yeah. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> so when I say I'm glad to be here, I mean, you mean I it? am glad to be here. I'm just phoning it in. I'm not I'm not really glad yeah, to be here. Cliches, yeah. Huh? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everything's great. <laughs> everything's fine. Uh let's move on. The Game Schooler News, we take a look behind the scenes at Game Schooler HQ, let you know what we've been up to. Since last week, is there any follow-up from last week's show? Something you want to hit on or? No, not not specifically. Do you remember the game that we talked about last week? Uh, that'd be Marvel United. Week? Absolutely <laughs> it was. No, I did spend some time discerning if I should go out and get that monster monster Kickstarter set. <laughs> um, but I, I held off. I passed on it. So I'm, I'm good with why the wise wallet prevailed yes yes it really did it wasn't talking badly at me after that decision so yeah no the only follow-up i have is uh about the alpha gaming marvel united being a cooperative game and so we're going to talk about that later in the school of gaming i thought that that was an important uh aspect to bring up um we talked about it last week in the show and i thought you know there, there might be people that don't know what we're exactly talking about Let's fill them in, get them on board with what alpha gaming is. The only thing to really talk about, but I'm really excited about the skill builders that we put together for Marvel United. Uh, you know, I've, I've tried a, a parts and components of it with, with my own children, and they're excited for it as well. They asked, well, when's this going to be on the website? And I said, hey, hey, I can't, I can't tell you that. <laughs> you might be my kids, but I can't tell you that yet. I just think we put together some pretty good content for, for that game that makes the game even more enjoyable. Yeah, I agree. And we got some more stuff coming up all the time. Uh, we recently took a look at Planet from Blue Orange Games. We got some, awesome good, game. some good skill builders and discussion guides for that. We're starting to dive into Seven Wonders, which has a monster of a discussion guide. And uh, I think we might have a, a skill builder or two coming out from there. We're, that's still in the construction phases, but... Yeah. 
but we're working through it. We've got some thoughts incubated. The the discussion guide, though, even if that's our only product for a while with Seven Wonders, it's a monster. It's it is huge. a monster. There's so much. There's so much under the hood in that game, that's deceptive. There's the game. There's the history component of what's in the game. You know the subject matter. But the strategic choices that are happening in that game are are very deceptive. You don't realize how much is going on. Why do you think, in terms of just number of questions, typically our discussion guides will have anywhere from 20 to 35 questions. And if it's on the 20, they're very, very thought-provoking questions or for a younger age audience. Yeah, I usually, shoot, 30, for, yeah, I usually shoot, 50, shoot for about 30 is the, is the minimum. Yeah, this about, one had about 172. All right. It took us about 90 minutes to go over a slight, a slight hyperbole there. But why do you think that discussion guide came together the way that it did? I, I don't know. Like I said, I think it's a, there's so many micro choices that you're making throughout the game and the way that the cards work together and how to build on those strategies. I, I don't think people realize that, that that's happening while you're playing the game. And it, it just, it's almost like a computer processor that you're just doing so many calculations at once and your brain kind of takes it mm. for for granted until you step back and look at like well why would you take that card why would you take that card how do these things build and there's a really thought provoking stuff in the strategy section as well as the designer component yeah yeah there's a ton with the design of that game just with how it unrolls and phases and i know that's not our recommended game of the week but Seven Wonders is definitely a game that we will be discussing in greater detail down the line. The the piece where I struggle with the strategy, it moves fast. It, it, the in-game action, I don't feel like I always have enough time to map out a strategy because I'm just trying to keep up and make sure I didn't mess up my entire board. Well, Does that's that where make it, sense? Well, yeah, that's where it goes. It fits in my wheelhouse. I'm a, I love tactics. I love making a decision on the fly. Yeah. Long-term strategy, I can have it, but and some people don't like that. Some people like when the I like both. They have a long-term strategy, and they get so frustrated when the train rolls off the tracks. Yeah. I like going through the mountain in a train without tracks. Like, let's make the decisions on the fly. That's the best card for me to take right now, even though I thought two turns ago I wasn't going to take a card like that. So, you got trains on your mind tonight, Doug. Well, good thing it's the game of the week. Uh, what a perfect segue, Michael. It's almost like you planned it that way. It happened. It happened. (laughs) Let's head over to the, uh, game schooler recommended game of the week. This segment is sponsored by funny cars, a skill builder for ticket to ride first journey. Have you ever heard a train that's far away and thought about what it was carrying? Have you ever been riding in a car when a train goes by and wondered what's inside that train? In this skill builder, your little gamers fill their own train cars. This skill builder is for grades two to four and teaches children creativity, confidence, and group discussion skills. What are you waiting for? Find out what's in those trains already. The recommended game of the week is a family-friendly game we think you should add to your collection and it passes our stringent criteria for quality and content. This week's game is Ticket to Ride by Days of Wonder. 
Yeah, according to the publisher, Ticket to Ride is a cross-country train adventure in which players collect and play matching train cards to claim railway routes connected cities throughout North America. The longer the routes, the more points they earn. Additional points come from those who can fulfill their destination tickets by connecting two distant cities and to the player who builds the longest continuous railway. So that's directly from Days of Wonder. Um, I was going to say, it didn't sound like Doug Kotecki wrote no, that. No, that's not okay, my language. Okay. I'm not that proper. But that was circa 2004 there. <laughs> yeah. um, so how do you play each turn? Then there's really not that much more than what was in that description. Yeah. The only thing that I'll add is that on each turn, you have three choices. Draw new train cards, use those train cards to claim routes, and acquiring new destination tickets. Yeah. That's it. Nothing else that you can do in the game. Those are your only three choices, and all this. You're strategy. excited about that, Doug. Folks out there in podcast land, I've heard this probably 18 times in my life now about what makes Ticket to Ride so great. Doug, tell them one more time. What makes this game so great? What makes this game so great is there are three simple things that you can do on your turn, and the strategy comes with everything else. You're not overburdened with 8,000 rules and exceptions of when – Player B places their train car in Tennessee, they have to do eight other steps. I don't have time in my life for games yeah. that have that much. And I don't think most families do. Right. To have a game with that many steps. This is a game you can play with everybody. Uh, so let's let's go. What's your favorite parts of the game? I mean, that's part of mine. I, I think for me, Ticket to Ride was the first game where you've talked about Catan for you in, in your gaming um, career, history, existence, but it was the first game where I played it where I thought, oh my goodness, I'm playing this game, and there was some strategy. And I You don't like remember. it when the game plays you? No, I don't like being played by the game. <laughs> I want to play the game. Phase 10? Yeah, yeah, a little Skippo. Um, I do like Skippo, though. It reminds me of playing games with my grandma, but I digress. What I really like about Ticket to Ride, it, it has that nostalgia impact for me. Uh, it was one of the first games that we ever owned. It was a game I got as a gift, and it still sits on our shelf. And what you know, people talk about replayability, being able to play a game again and again. It's now a game I've introduced to my kids, played with my own parents. Comes out at the holiday time, and it's a game where we can have something on in the background. So Frozen Two can be playing, and I still get to play Ticket to Ride. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to do that. I'd be sucked into the movie. <laughs> you would, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it feels like an heirloom game. Yeah. It feels like a game that's been around as long as Monopoly or any of those other... Well, so to, much better. To, to me, well, yeah, that goes without game. saying, but it it feels like it's been around and ingrained in the culture. Um, one of the things that goes along with that, and I think this is a hallmark of, of games that have this, but it has fast turns. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where you say you could have a movie on in the background is because the turns are happening so fast that you can pay attention, do other things. It's like, oh, it's my turn. And because the decisions aren't necessarily complicated. I mean, if you're playing with cutthroat loan sharks, yeah. I mean, it could yeah, get it pretty, can be. it could be pretty nasty and mean if you want to play that way, but you don't have to be focused the entire time. Um, and that comes from the, the fast turns that you have while you're playing. Yeah. The the other thing that I really like about it, and, and you called out my color blindness very clearly in episode mm-hmm. one of our podcast, but the symbols in Ticket to Ride allow me to play. And I don't ever have to ask the person sitting to my left or right, uh, 
is, is this green or is this orange? Yeah, get your strategy is, is this, together. Is this red or is this green? <laughs> so it actually allows me to play. I don't have to give away what I'm planning to do <laughs> on my next turn. Is this route between here, is that a green one yeah. or a pink one? Oh, he's going Duluth to Chicago. <laughs> Not that I'm playing that Thanks, one. guys. Uh, well, then that gets to, uh, speaking of Duluth to Chicago, the geography in the game. Yeah. There's a huge component. Yeah, it's and fantastic. I, and I remember playing uh, Ticket to Ride Europe. So it's like we're talking about the regular base game. Ticket to Ride has the North American, essentially the United States map with a few Canadianese cities mm-hmm. in it. Um, Canadian-ish. Yeah. <laughs> the more American Canadian cities. A. Tuck, so, we're trying to get listeners here. We're not <laughs> trying to get people upset with us here. It's only episode two. So we're talking about the, the base one with America, American uh, United States map in it. But I remember playing a Ticket to Ride Europe, and a lot of these things apply to all of those games, but I remember playing Ticket to Ride Europe, and you're just getting exposed to it. was like, oh, that is here in relation to that. You know, yeah. you're looking at this is where London is, and I can see with my kids, you see the wheels turn. It's like, oh, well, if Chicago's there, and then Duluth is here, and we're around here, and... Uh, just a great aspect to have that the, that awareness of where where things are on a map, right? And there are some cities that my children. I don't want to take away anything from my children. There are some cities that I didn't know that well, and I have been throughout a lot of our country, but I haven't been to El Paso, Texas. And you're unfamiliar with where New York is. I, I have been to New York City. <laughs> But it it does a nice job of calling out some of the lesser-known cities in our country as well. They're sprinkled in there. The Duluth, the El Pasos are right alongside New York, Chicago, San Francisco, Miami. Yeah, they're not all—and they're not all capitals. They're not not all mega cities. so I agree with you there. What do you like? What's your favorite part of the game? Or is it asked— Well, those those things, the fast turns, the geography. The last thing I put down is uh, the subtle tension— I think that is happening in that game. And I think every great game has that, that that kind of little underpinning of like, I hope mm-hmm. they don't take my route. I hope they don't take that. And if you're playing with more players, the you know, there's a couple of routes on there. I think there's one that goes to Nashville. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a couple of little hub areas of like, if you get locked out of that, you're taking the scenic route. Yeah. Omaha's another one that's around, caused me a lot of trouble. Around there. And I, I like that. There's always a little bit of, there's a tension on the board. There's a tension of, I really need that blue car. Shoot, Michael just took it. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, I finally got it. Or the thrill of drawing wild locomotives off the top of the deck mm-hmm. uh, blindly. Those, are, not color blindly, but just blindly. You don't know Taking what. Taking one. Yeah, yes. there you go. Um, I think that's that's a great part of that game. Without being mean. I mean, it can be mean, but it doesn't have to be. And, yeah. and you... It's like ah, oh, I gotta. I'm gonna have to spend five trains instead of two. Yeah, which stinks. But that little bit of tension, I think, is is a one of the things that makes a great game, in my opinion. Awesome. So, any nitpicks that you have? Anything that yeah, uh, I, families should be aware of I before they play? The I game? have one, and we've talked about this extensively, and and I know you have the counter built in for it already. Although there aren't any dice in this game, and the and the game can absolutely go fast, and boom, 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 it's my turn again. It's a long game, and that when we played it as a family a few different times, I would institute a seven o'clock rule. 
we're not going to start this game after seven o'clock because by the time eight o'clock hits and we still have a few turns left, the kids are just going to be angry, asking for a third snack. It, it, it can truly take up to 80 minutes, 90 minutes if you're playing with with a, a big family, you yeah, know, yeah, four depending and on a couple the, younger kids. Yeah, the age that's, of the, that's my nitpick with the original. Yeah, the age of the kids can a make a long. difference. And even with adults too, if I want to get through two or three games in a night, I don't get ticket to ride to the table with adults as much anymore. Yeah. I've got two two nitpicks. One of them is there is a lot of information on the board at first glance. Mm. There's a lot of cities. Of there's a lot of routes. And I think I don't think it's bad and i don't think it takes away from the game it's just something to be aware of but how much of that is because to my right and your left there are approximately 300 ish 500 games and you're just used to a different map how much of that is that in 2004 that set it apart yeah no i and i think i'm getting more along the lines of the the teaching aspects of it if you're teaching this to a new person trying to tell them that okay you're playing with the black trains but that doesn't mean that the black routes on the board are yours yeah or or things like that that there's a lot of information to digest where you're like that's okay the grays you don't need to worry about anybody can play there and that the colors on the the map are related to the the train cards and i'm not saying that that's a deterrent for anybody um, just something to be aware of that that's something you will have to explain if you're teaching it to new people. The other thing, which is the pig, uh, the reverse of my positive, which is the geography, is if you're playing with younger kids, mm-hmm. that geography, there's a learning edge to that. You know, you and I can look at a map and say, well, this ticket says Chicago to New York. No yeah. brainer. I know, know the part of the map I'm looking for. And there is the teaching aspect of it that the destination ticket does have where those are located yeah. on the map, but it takes a little but bit. It's and, small. Those and, tickets are small. And I've noticed like in the Europe one or when I played some of the other maps where I'm not, you know, familiar with the geography the same way that I am with the United States, where I'm like, okay, where yeah. is this? You like you first look at the names and you're like, I have no idea where Calcutta is on this India map compared to whatever other city I can't pronounce is. Um, and I, uh, that even happened on the Europe map where I'm like, where is this? Oh, okay. I, that's over here. And eventually you pick up on it, which yeah. I think is the behind the scenes learning that happens. Um, but I, and we try to come into this segment fresh. We don't talk a whole lot before the recommended game of the week, but I think we have counters for each of our nitpicks. The, the our complaints essentially, and that's also the sign of a really good game. And so, do you want to tell our audience about the the counter for the game being too long? Yeah, well the the ticket to ride just came out with, and I think we might have mentioned this, and no, we didn't mention it last week's show. I was thinking we did, but I think we were just talking afterwards. But they released. There's two of them that are out now. Actually, the third one just came out. Yep. There's a ticket to ride London. Ticket to Ride New York, and Ticket to Ride Amsterdam. And these are 15-minute, 30-minute games, depending on how many players you have, that have all of the same feeling of regular Ticket to Ride with a couple of wrinkles added in. New York, you get bonus points for uh, visiting various landmarks like Central Park and 
uh, the Empire State Building, things like that, which are locations on the map. And you're using taxis instead of trains. Which are super cool. Yeah, they could have used subways, I guess, would have been just as... I like the taxis. Um, and then London uses buses. And that one you're getting... Now, I wish London used taxis. That's for a different podcast. But sometime I got to tell you my London cabbie story. Anyways, <laughs> back, back to it here. Now you're leaving everybody on the podcast <laughs> well, hanging. If anyone's been to London and had to deal with a taxi driver, they'll know what I'm talking about. Not like me in New York where the guy drove me around for like five hours. It's a really long way to get to one place to one the other place. Very similar. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah you get the $400 bill at the end, and you're like, whoa, whoa, what? Except our guy actually scared away our Uber driver, like did a full shakedown of the Uber driver right outside Heathrow. <laughs> yeah, so in the Ticket to Ride London, getting back to London, uh, you get points for the number of areas of the city that I'm you excited. connect. There's five... Five or six different locations, and if you're connecting mm -hmm. all these areas together, you get extra points. And I'm not sure what the, the bonus is for Amsterdam, but if you think Ticket to Ride is too long, try one of those ones out because it gives you the exact same feel. And I, I've heard that from a lot of people that really love Ticket to Ride. And then to your point, like, ah, I just don't feel like playing for 60 or 70 minutes. Yeah, getting um, all those. It's a big map, getting it yeah, out on the table, yeah, getting all the pieces. Yeah. But so that's an option, but still a, a great game in its in its full version. I don't want to take take anything away from that or or imply that we don't think that the the full version is a great game as well. Uh, so let's talk about some of the skills that are in the game. Real no, quick before we yeah, do that, though, yeah. we left them hanging on one. The too difficult piece. If if it's too difficult for the youngsters, uh, the Ticket to Ride First Journey is an excellent game, and Doug introduced me to that game and I played it with one of my kiddos who doesn't play a lot of board games and she absolutely loved it and there was too much going on on the map for me as an adult because some of the the iconography it's a little cartoonish but man it, she absolutely loved it and picked up on it so that's it, it seems like if there are any complaints with the game, the game designers have addressed them through through other games. Yeah. And even those complaints are very minimal. Yeah, and then the Ticket to Ride First Journey, it takes a, uh, out the reading. Each city's got a, a picture, and that's what they're connecting. You know, so the, the younger kids don't have to read. They know Chicago is the one with the baseball glove, things like that. So it makes it a little easier on that front. Uh, all right, so now moving on to... The, the hidden skills, the skills you're going to pull out of this game just by playing it. You don't need a skill builder for these. Yep. They're ingrained, baked in, no particular order. What, what do you got? What's on the start of your list? Yeah, so the first one right out the gate, and I know they're not in order, but if I were putting it in order, it'd be number five. It's a cognitive skill, and that's spatial perception. And we define spatial perception as a game that strengthens a student's understanding of the spatial relationships with the objects in their environment as well as themselves. And if that sounds like a definition that I just read off a document, it is a definition that I've just read off of a document. As we've talked about before, our skills and our subjects are, are broken down, codified, and defined. And this game does an excellent job of placing the gamers in the United States. There's a huge U.S. geography tie-in, and I, I think that spatial perception is, as a cognitive skill is definitely present in Ticket to Ride. I agree completely. This, uh, this is a hard list to make because I felt like there are so a many skills. 
so many skills on there. I definitely debated on on putting that one on my list as well. Uh, first one on my list I have is competition, mm. a game that develops healthy competitive habits as two or more parties compete for a goal that cannot be shared. This is a one of those good games that it's the important part of this is healthy competitive habits. Yeah. The game is not too mean. It's got some areas that it could be, but those are good teachable moments. And the the competition over the routes, the competition over the cards that are out to pick, I think this is a good learning uh, jumping off point for teaching that. that I haven't had too many tears with so Ticket to Ride. So you must not have a house rule where you arm wrestle for a card. No, That's no, not your house? No, no, okay. just body slam. Oh, no. okay. Yeah. Go straight. Yeah, we go no, no DQ, <laughs> steel cage match. People's elbow. Yeah. Oh. No, so I, I think it's a... I've played games where my kids have cried. My kids don't cry in this game. That's good. So take that's that good. for what it's worth. That's that's for the the competition on that one. Yeah, that that didn't even make my my top ten if I had them. And that's not. I'm not disagreeing with you. The competition is definitely there. I think that the game has so many skills. Yeah. And if we were to add subjects in, possible subjects in that are involved in this. My next one is logistics. And logistics we have as a business skill. And it's managing the flow of production between the point of origin to the point of consumption. And in this case, that point of origin, it, you have cards in your hand. And it, it, it's just fantastic that once you have four cards down, or oh, better yet, if you have five cards now you're at that point of consumption where you get to pick up those trains and place them on the board, and you get that little feeling of satisfaction like, ah, I did something. I saved up enough to go ahead and get those trains and put them on the board. I, I think the logistics skill is, is baked right into the game too. I agree. I agree. Also not on my list, but like Michael said, and we've been saying there, this is chock full of them, and yeah. I, don't, I don't think any of these are – so far none of them have been invalid. Um, <laughs> that, in your opinion, in my opinion, well, as with, a statement of fact, yeah, yeah, it's conclusion done. Jury has decided. Uh, the next one I have is strategic thinking, a game that encourages students to develop a process or long-term strategy for accomplishing goals. Um, the strategy comes in on this one is you get you you get those destination tickets. You have to plan. You have to have some idea of where you're going and how you're going to connect those two cities. And if you can get both of your destination tickets to work together or be close, can you combine them mm-hmm. in a way with a, a little offshoot? And I'm just going to piggyback right into my next one, which is tactical thinking, Yeah. which means Michael just put down a route and screwed up my plans. Yeah. Now what do I do? And that's both of those are a huge component of it. It's like I got to think big picture and I got to think small picture of, Okay, that route's gone. How can I how can I get there the best way now? Tactical thinking we have as a game that challenges students to make decisions based on currently available information. And one of your favorite skills yep. in a board game. Yeah. You love that, I love right? it. And I cannot tell you the amount of times where I have been beaten from Seattle to Helena. I believe I believe that's that's the route, right? It's a monster. Could be. Yeah, uh, it's like a six router. Yeah, five yeah. or six, and I'm always one away, and then it's like, oh, but I really want it. But I can't say anything about it because if I give it away at the table, then somebody's going to go and take away something else that I really want. And so I, I agree that both of those skills are definitely in there. You have to be tactical. You have to think on your feet and keep a good poker face too. 
the next skill that I have, and it kind of goes hand in hand with that, is patience. And we have patience as an emotional skill. It's a game that has gamers remaining calm to, and better tolerate delays. And where this is present, not just for young gamers, but gamers of all age, it takes multiple turns to complete an objective. And yeah, there are some one train cars, but very rarely is anyone excited to put down that one train car unless it's your last turn. Yeah. And uh, as somebody who has had to work on patience a lot as an adult. And we I talked would, about that last episode. Yeah, I think yeah. we did a little yeah. bit. Scanning the skills, I thought, yep, it's definitely in this game as well. Hopefully yeah. it's not on every single game as yeah. we go. Otherwise, it says more about me than the game. <laughs> but I think patience is also in there. Well, and I think that pops up too when somebody steals your route. Yeah. That you have to have, you know, you cannot melt down. You have to have patience. It's like, oh, the, Come thing, on, I, the thing I thought I was going to do, not happening anymore. I've got another emotional skill on mine, and that's confidence. Yeah. A game that promotes and increases a student's trust in their abilities and qualities. If you're talking about building blocks of learning, the confidence and pride that younger kids get when they finish one of their tickets and it's like you're you don't want to let somebody know that you finished a ticket that's not you know you want to keep that poker face during mm-hmm. a normal game but there's no way that that little kids can hide that yeah you know they're going to say i just finished one or you know sneakily put it down like well i'm done with that one now and <laughs> yeah. and it's like that when that happens that's awesome they're doing and especially when you talk about you're building up, you you know, not everything happens. It's that delayed gratification. But when they do that and they get over that little mountain, they're they throw their little trains yeah, down on the board and line them up. They're confident and they're over. they're happy about it. Yeah. So even on the ticket side and claiming a single route, you know. Yeah. So that's that's what I got confidence. Awesome. I have a language skill as well, and that's comprehension. And that's a where a game bolsters a student's or gamer's ability to process text and understand its meaning. Well, okay, what what do we mean by that? There is a lot of this or that and this and that built right into the game. And, And Doug talked about some of that in his overview. There's a lot going on on the board. But I have to understand what these cards in my hand translate to train cars on the game board. That level of comprehension is outstanding when you're talking about early and emerging readers, six, seven, eight-year-olds, and uh, even into to the early teens. If it's a, a rain day, rainy day and you throw the game out, that, there's a lot going on there. The other piece with that for comprehension when I've played this with my family, they always reflect on where we've been. And we haven't traveled a lot as a family yet. It's something I hope to do in future years. But ultimately, it's, well, remember Chicago, remember Omaha. And we'll start talking about the Twin Cities, and the kids will just bring those pieces in. They're comprehending what's happening in the context of the game and making those text-to-self connections. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's big time. Uh, last one I have. Do you have any more? You have one more I have left? one more. Okay. Yep. My last one is uh, resource management. My last one is resource management. All right. We have that as a game that boosts the student's capacity to efficiently and effectively oversee available assets. Yep. And I think the important thing on this one for me is efficiently. 
because there's no point having a whole bunch of train cards if you're not going to use them yep. or not use them right. And there's a, the process of I've got a wild one. Do I use it now or do I have, you know, looking at the board, do I have enough time to get another one so I don't have to use the wild one? You know, can I get a couple more of those cards if nobody's encroaching on where I think I'm trying to go that I could save that wild one for when I'm in a pinch when I really need it? Yeah. And so managing those cards and, and the, the train cards and when you're taking them is the crux of the game as a big part of it is managing those cards that you have in your hand. Yeah, and the number of players matters as well. If you're playing with three compared to five, that resource management is really does it in go there. up to five. Uh, Doug just did the quick take. Like, I don't think it goes up to five. I it sure does, doesn't it? I don't know. I'm gonna check right now. Cards are there. Do it while, while I talk to our audience here. How many, it's not just a two to four. Yeah, is it? It's five. It's, it's five. five. Boom! Yeah, that, dropping some knowledge. That that matters though, because. Five is a tight in, game. In five, it's really tight. And when I get a wild in my hand, it's like, oh, I'd really like to save it, but I don't know. Blow! And get that route down on the board. And so resource management and efficiency, those were the, the two pieces that I picked up on. And also the available assets. What cards are available in front of me at the moment? Yeah. All right, so that is Ticket to Ride, recommended game of the week this week again. There's millions of these have been sold, so there's a good chance yeah. you've heard about it uh, or you have it. So that's a very real possibility. And if you haven't, certainly go check it out. And this one is widely available. Every big box store, yep. local game store, and online is going to have this game if, if it sounds like something that's interesting to you. So that's our recommended game of the week, and we are going to move on to the School of Gaming. This segment is brought to you by Trail by Rail, a skill builder for Ticket to Ride. Did the player who won the longest route bonus card in the game actually build the longest rail in miles? Students will review basic math processes and learn to use map applications with the help of this 16-page guide. Your gamers will also have the chance to explore how train travel has advanced through the years. This skill builder is for grades three to five and teaches healthy competition, spatial perception, and problem-solving skills. And don't forget geography and arithmetic. So the question is, did you really have the longest route? The School of Gaming. It's that time. In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming and education. This week, we'll be talking about alpha gaming and project-based learning. Doug. What do you got for us with alpha gaming? All right, alpha gaming. I wanted to talk about this because we talked about cooperative game Marvel United last week, and alpha gaming usually occurs in cooperative games, although it's not exclusive uh, to cooperative games. It can happen in other ones. Hopefully so, not, but, but it does. It does. Um, so what is alpha gaming? Alpha gaming is when one of the players starts telling everybody else at the table how they should take their turn what they should do on their turn. And, you know, in, in a game like Marvel United, you should play this card. In a game like Pandemic, well, we should do this, 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 and this, and nobody else gets in a say, and trust me, I've done all the math, so... They play the game for you. Yeah, we don't need to, to discuss it. All day long. 
and it can be very off-putting. It can be frustrating. I know uh, there are times when I've played with people and there is an alpha gamer and the other people, especially players that don't play very much, are like, why am I playing this? Like, why am I here? So it's something that happens. And like I said, usually it happens in cooperative games, but sometimes people will do it in competitive games and say, you should really do that. Don't do, don't do the thing you were about to do. You should do that because this one's worth more points. And even if it's a helpful thing, you maybe yeah. you didn't even think about it, but it's like, I'd rather win or lose the game myself, not have you tell me when, when every time I make a bad move even. Which leads me to one of my first points is I have never found, and I could be in the minority on this one, but I have never found a situation where alpha gaming is mean-spirited. Mm. To me, it's always somebody that is very excited about gaming. And they are so excited and so engrossed in the game that they don't even realize that that's what they're doing. I've never seen anybody that's like, well, I'm just going to do it this way because I'm a jerk. It's usually, guys, guys, I'm excited. I, I No, this is the way that we should do it because this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. And that's it's a fine line. That's the hard part is it's a fine line between collaboration and then going to alpha gaming because us having a discussion is one thing, but when somebody starts to dominate the discussion, yeah, it's a I, it's a slippery slope. I want to jump in here and ask you a question, Doug. So we, you know, our mission, vision, and values focus on bringing families together and playing games. And one time to do that is around holidays and around you know fam- special occasions for families, and that's where I have alpha gamers present in my life. It's not with people that I play regularly. It's with people who I only get to play with once or twice a year. And what are some strategies that I could use if I'm faced with an alpha gamer? Well, there's a couple of things. Uh, the first one is that there's some games that try to eliminate it. Okay. So that's that'd be my first recommendation is that maybe there's a different game out there that you could so try. Playing. Don't play the game. Don't don't bring a cooperative to that that group. Depending on the game. Okay. You know, I'm not saying that you know go out and buy a whole new game if that's not in your budget or something. But there are some games where information is hidden from other players. So mm. you can have an idea of what you think I should do as the alpha gamer, but they're my cards and you don't see what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, so there are some games that the designers have taken extra effort to try to eliminate that problem. That being said, I don't think it's a game design problem that needs to be solved by the, the designer. It's something that needs to be solved by the players. Um, as far as as alleviating it in the game that you do have that you did bring to your family get together one if it's kids it's very easy to yeah. re- redirect them yeah. and say well let's let their kids. let's let Mary make a decision or or ask the, the the number one which leads to my number one thing is Sam playing with with my wife and an alpha gamer and the alpha gamer is is telling the other person what to do one of my go-tos is I ask the player whose turn it is, what do you think we should do? Okay. You know, so get them engaged and say, well, I was thinking about this. So it's it's not a bullying behavior. It's not like an, an alpha in, in a bullying situation. It's really more of an etiquette. Not that I've found. I haven't, okay. fo- I haven't found it being mean-spirited. And I yeah. feel like if it's a mean-spirited thing, you need to pull the guy or gal aside and say, hey, come on, you're not letting anybody else take yeah, a let turn. Us play. Um, okay. But I think if you can jump the gun 
before that person gets a chance to explain every possible combination and ask the person whose turn it is and say, all right, Katie, all right, Michael, Michael, what do you think we should do this turn? Yeah. And really take the the the, the initiative, the initiative yeah. and That's and ask good. them. Then the, the onus is on them. And then it becomes really rude if that person starts jumping in. Now, if the person says, well, I'm not really sure, well, then that's an opportunity for everybody to, to pitch in ideas. And then then it's not an alpha gaming problem. That's, yeah. I'm not sure I was thinking about this. Then you have the opportunity to help, and which is what the cooperative game is about. So awesome. those are, are my thoughts on alpha gaming. And hopefully there's some tips there if, if you get uh, stuck with Cousin Eddie at oh, Christmas. I have a, a hypothetical potential brother-in-law in my head right now, and I was just wondering if I needed to set up boundaries before the game. But I think your suggestion of putting the focus on not on the alpha gamer, and it, it truly is a situation of what you're talking about. Again, this is a hypothetical, but somebody who gets very yeah, so excited. Do you want to give everybody his address, so, address? We can, so we can send them some no, strongly worded letters? By saying brother-in-law, it still leaves it up to about 34 different yeah, individuals yeah. <laughs> out there. So good luck finding them. All right. Uh, for me, am I all right to jump right into project-based yeah, learning? Take it away. Yeah, so project-based learning. And if any of you have kids or nieces or nephews in the school, you've heard that term. It's become a ubiquitous term. And what does it mean? Well, it's typically a, a method or a methodology of teaching that focuses on putting student choice and student voice into the learning process. But project-based learning has grown to really become something that exists on a spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, you have student-directed project-based learning, and it is what it sounds like. The student is in charge of their curriculum, they make their choices, and they go to work. And on the other end of the spectrum you have, you guessed it, teacher-directed project-based learning. And that would typically be a, a group project where the teacher is setting the parameters and setting up the essential questions or driving questions, and then the kiddos are going out to do the work and go on their, their you know, typically would have like a menu of options to do their projects and come back and report to the group. Okay, so I threw some jargon in there. Let me break some of that down. Essential question. This is key. An essential question is an unanswerable question. There's not a yes or no, a right or wrong answer. And there are other groups who have taken that and made it the driving question. It is the big question that's pushing the entire project. And then from that, you, you have detailed questions and then a task list and then resources. And different people do it different ways. But in the past, when I've been fortunate enough to work and teach in a project-based learning environment, that's pretty much a setup where we have where a kiddo has a big, big question that they want to get answered, and then a series of detailed questions, their task list sounds like what it would be. And if any of you work in, in the business field, well, that sounds a lot like what I do at work. Yeah, it's just bringing that into school. And resources are going to be, who are you going to need to get this done? You begin with the end in mind. So when a kiddo proposes a project in student-directed project-based learning, or when a teacher explains the project in the project overview period at the beginning, you actually tell them up front, these are the potential resources 
that you're going to need to answer your question. It could be an interview of an expert in the field. It could just be doing a very thorough deep dive of Wikipedia in my local library. It could be a lot of different things. Um, here's the big thing about project-based learning before I open it up for some questions here and a little bit of back and forth. I've really only seen it done one of two ways. Project-based learning, whether it's teacher-directed or student-directed, is incredibly rigorous because it involves so much planning and work. If I am a teacher or what they're commonly called advisors in a project-based school, half of my time, 40 to 50% of my time is spent in one-to-one -one meetings. And I have to be prepared for every single one of those meetings with the kids. I am trying to fix, uh, fix, I don't want to say fix what's wrong with them, but really fill in gaps and skill build in those one-to-one -one meetings. And at the same time, I'm probably also teaching lessons. And so a project-based learning school, when done well, it is incredibly rigorous. And you know it. You know it when you walk by. There's a rhythm to it because it sounds like a workplace where people are happy. Or it is a big bag of fluff. And it's not always as easy to tell if, if, if it lacks in rigor and if it's fluffy. But typically... Just asking a student, you know, 12 years old plus, like, hey, what are you working on? You would expect them to say, yeah, I don't know, or meh. But then if you ask to see their project log, or hey, can you, can you show me where, you, where you, you store your projects, or show me your favorite project. If they can't get a little bit excited, or if they kind of do the look around to see if there's an adult around, they can tell you, like, I really don't do anything here. I, I, I eat bagels. And I, and I, I watch CNN, then I watch Fox News, and, and 10 minutes of each, and that's my social studies. That, that does exist in the project-based learning world, whereas it's, oh, you know, I really wanted to do something, so I went ahead and started a, a childhood cancer foundation, and we ended up raising $50,000 last year. I mean, that, both of those things exist in the project-based world. It, it, it's a wide spectrum from teacher-directed to student-directed, and it is very difficult to do it well. Um, so that's that's my overview for the week. I got going a little bit uh, of, a, of a monologue there, Doug, but any questions on that one? Well, I think it's a, it's a super important topic, especially in what we're doing. So I'm wondering if you can tie in the project-based learning and how that goes into our discussion guides and skill builders, because that's one of the foundations of, of something that's been on our brain while we've been doing these these products. Yeah, in my second year as a teacher, I said I want this to be my life's work. I, I just fell in love with project-based learning, of putting the student in charge of their learning and directing their curriculum. But in about year three and four of getting deep into that, I started to realize, and it was really after going to school visits all across the, the country, uh, uh, the adults are important too. <laughs> and the adults need to be able to teach some skills here. And, and more than just reading and writing, there's a lot to business skills are important because a lot of project-based schools, they rely on field experience. We're going to get out into our local community. We're going to place you in internships. Well, guess what? You need to know how to talk, how to dress, and how to clean the microwave in the staff lounge. All those things are important. And how does that relate to what we're doing with skill builders? Our skill builders are skill-based. 
they are divided into different categories to make for a holistic learner at the end of the day. I mean, where we want to build this thing to is at the end of the day, we could have a homeschool parent or even a teacher in a small school, and they take our skill builders, and that's their curriculum. Well, and that's part of the thing that we really put an emphasis on, too, is what you said, that 50% of a teacher's time in these project-based learning things is getting up to snuff with what they're implementing, yeah. what, what, they're, what they're putting out there. And we're designing our skill builders so Joe Blow can inter- introduce these. You know, yeah. we're putting in the behind-the-scenes work so the teachers have projects that are ready to go and the ideas behind the projects, the thought behind the projects, and, yeah. and put those out there and, and alleviate some of that 50% of the job. And stu- students, uh, students, what people who listen to this over time are going to get tired of me hearing, tired of me saying this word, engagement. But student academic engagement is a critical component of project-based learning. And it's also the secret sauce behind our skill builders. Because what do board games do? They have engagement built right in. Otherwise, they're not going to get sold. Yeah, they're not, they're they're going to suck you in, or they're going to be sitting on the shelf. Yeah, uh, losing people money. <laughs> yeah. Anything else with that one, Doug? No, I think I think that that's good. I think that hit it. The the only last thing I'll say: wherever you're at in the world, just do a Google search for a project based learning school. And if it's not a school all the time, there are a lot of community centers and and after school programs that put that right into their Google Analytics. And so there's probably a place or a center near you for your kiddos anywhere from from three years old on up that are project-based focused. Cool. All right, so let's move on to the uh, final segment of the week, the High Five Challenge. Do-do-do-do. The High Five Challenge is brought to you by Exploring Ancient Wonders, a subject builder for Seven Wonders. Subject builders are a perfect tie-in to any game and provide valuable context before playing. From the pharaohs to Alexander the Great, historic leaders commissioned wonders, and ancient civilizations built a wide variety of magnificent structures. The board game Seven Wonders highlights the historic, must-see sites that shaped Western culture. In exploring ancient wonders, gamers explore the pyramids, bronze statues, temples, and monuments that comprise the Seven Wonders of the ancient world. If you're anything like us, you're constantly on the hunt for new games to try out. Each week for the High Five Challenge, I'm going to share a top five list with of family-friendly games. And Michael has chosen the topic. So what's this week's topic, Michael? This week's topic is games you can play with your kids. All right. So this so, is... Real board games, but you can play them with your kiddos. Yeah, these are, this is a wide open topic. Yep. So... I actually have a, I've I got 10. Okay. So I doubled the list. Double down. Because this is, I don't want to say this is a crux of our business, but yeah. it's a big time focus. So I've narrowed it down to, to games that I can play with kids under 10. So not just kids, because there's a lot of family games that we have that's almost our entire recommended games list. So this is going to be games for kids under 10, and they're games that I feel like I a, I'm having fun with, so it's not not a game that I'm pretending to have fun or just moving the pieces around mm-hmm. and like eh, the kids like this, whatever. So this is the games that I have fun with and games that I feel like I can almost play full out. Yeah, I don't need to. 
forgetful, forget and do something so somebody else crosses the finish line. So that was my caveat. I've got two. <laughs> I got ten games, and I got two recommend uh, two uh, honorable mentions. Okay, one. Go ahead. Sorry. And you're saying all of these games can be played with kids under ten, or was there a second category? No, all of these games are kids under ten. Okay, and some much lower than and that. The distinguisher. You see, in our family, and Doug knows this, we have a game called Olaf's Ice Adventure, which is a game of trouble. A modern classic. And our youngest calls Olaf Olaf. So that's adorable enough. We're going to play Olaf's Ice Adventure. Here's the problem with it. When we get done playing it, if we play it on our carpet, there's a puddle full of salt. So not Mm. only does the game stink, and it's not fun for anybody except the four-year-old. There's a puddle. There's a puddle on the carpet because you play with this giant thing of water. There's ice cubes that are melting, and there's salt all over. (laughs) And you need a lobotomy afterwards. So that's not going to be on this. No, not going to make it. Just just missed it. It was number thirteen. When I threw you the topic, I was thinking of games I would play kind of without my kids. Almost like, yeah, this is a fun game, and kids can play it. So yeah, yep. There's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of crossover. Some of these are very are kid oriented, but like I said, I want them to be kid games that I can play full blown, not have to worry about uh, letting some some youngster win. So the two that are on the honorable mention, the first one is a new game that I just got, which is Disney Color Brain. Tell me about that one. I haven't played it yet. So on each turn, you have a, a set of nine. I think nine cards. I don't know. Uh, some set of numbered, they're all colored cards. And you're going to look at the top card. For example, it might say, what is the color of Mickey's pants? And it's going to say one color. Now, this is a terrible game for Michael. Yeah, I'm already crossing it off my list. (laughs) But your whole family will love it. Yeah, they will. And then everybody plays cards face down. Sometimes it's two colors. It might be, what are the color of Woody from Toy Story's vest? Oh, cool. Two, Two colors. So everybody's putting down two colors. If everybody gets it right, nothing happens. If somebody gets it right, but other people get it wrong, you're getting points for every other person that oh, got it wrong. people would love to play with me on this one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Everybody's getting a point every round, unless nobody knows it. <laughs> High levels of enthusiasm, low levels of correct answers. So it's, it's interesting. I don't know. And the reason it's an honorable mention is that kids really enjoy it. I enjoy because there's parts where... There's things that I know that the kids don't know. There's things that the kids know that I'm like, I've got no idea. Mm-hmm. I don't. Okay. I'm not familiar with that princess tune. So there's a question, like what color is Woody's vest? And then you throw down. I got to put down my two colors. Everybody's putting out in their two colors at once. Okay. So the, okay. the two things that, the one thing I don't know about it is I don't know how, I don't know if it's kind of a one and done, but yeah. right now it's getting a lot of love in the house. Okay. So I don't know how long that'll last. You don't know if it's new factor or if it's fun factor at this point. Yeah, yeah. Okay. but I do. There's, we haven't gone through all the cards, so it's not one of those things where there's, there's ten cards and you're like, all right, I've seen that before. I know all of these, and there's enough where, like I said, the kids know stuff, I know stuff, and it kind of balances out. Mm-hmm. So that's on there. the The next honorable mention is one that I took off the list. It would actually be very high on my list, but. It is unavailable right now, and I don't know what happened. If it was a licensing thing, it's, it seemed like they did one printing and it was done. And it was the Snow White and the Seven Dwarves gemstone mining game. Okay, and it's based off another. You have game. this here. Yeah, right? I've got yeah. it. It's an. It's based off another game called Quartz, and that I don't think is in print either. 
Otherwise, I would have recommended that. But that is where you're reaching your hand into a bag and pulling out a, a gem. And if you get the wrong colored gems, you bust. And so it's a push your luck. How many times am I going to keep oh, man. keep digging in to get and see if I get a more valuable gem? And it's a good good lesson thing for kids. There's a little bit, you can add some complexity. There's more rules as they get older and special cards that can manipulate powers and things like that, but just on its basic level. And the other thing that's nice is even if they do bust, you get a token that kind of helps you from busting the next round. Oh. So nobody ever gets too The other too thing upset. that's nice, I think I'm going home with a game tonight because you just did the thing that I can't stand when board game podcasters do it. You talked about a game that's not available. You yeah. got me all excited and it's Sorry. out there. It's probably on Amazon well, for that's like $75. Why, yeah, somebody. that's why it's not on the list. But you talked about it. All right, well, so let's so get good. to the list. It's so good. Let's get to the list. All right. Where do you have it so, then? Number 10 is a game called Roll For It. Okay. And Roll For It, you're taking, you start out with six or seven dice, and there are cards out on the board, three or four of them, that may have specific results. So maybe you need to have three fives. You roll your dice, and then you, if you roll five, you can say, oh, I'm going to try and get that. The first person that gets three fives on that, but once you put them there, you can't move them until mm-hmm. somebody claims that card. So there might be a card with six sixes that's worth 10 points. Yeah. And like, ooh, eventually, you know, great if you roll a Yahtzee and you can get them all at one time. Otherwise, it, every time you're turn, it's like I've got six, five, five sixes committed to that out of my six dice. That means every turn I'm rolling hoping to get a six. <laughs> and so you can get locked in. But if you get get it, it's 10 points, it's which, is, which is a lot. Um so it so, sounds like Yahtzee. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a luck game. There's, yeah. there's no doubt about it. I mean, the, and sometimes my kids make not wise decisions by tying up more dice than they should in different <laughs> locations, but uh, does not prevent me from playing hard. And, and as long as the, the players know that, you Good. know, the kids know that there's luck, it's a... Uh, and you don't want to be an alpha gamer and tell your kids what to do. No, they exactly. Figure that out. Exactly. And if you want to do a, a level up on this is Las Vegas oh. is kind of a, a gamer step up from that. If So if you like Roll For It, you've played it, and you were looking for something else, Las Vegas is a great jump up. Um, I'm not sure that that would fit under. The 10 is probably the cutoff, early cutoff for that. Nine, you need to understand money. Uh, so that's my number 10. My number nine, Catan Jr., Yep, which is a great little brother version of Catan. It takes a, basically all it does is take out the trading with each other and you're trading with the bank otherwise it's very similar to the the base game and just teaching them those those concepts of of rolling dice and, and yeah. payouts you know the probability of how many how many times they can get the the goods that they need so can you do me a favor yeah next time you guys are playing can you give me a call so i can come over Catan is a game that i love to play but nobody <laughs> in my house likes Catan or Catan junior and I've, I've i've set it up at the table a few times but it's just no, one they of don't those get games. into the pirate huts and no not yet not yet we're working on it that it is a great game the art on it is really clean and I, although I haven't played it yet, and so I probably shouldn't be commenting on it, I really want to play it. Twice I've set it up and said, "Okay, guys, let's go." Yeah, and I just yeah, yeah. And it does a, It's one of those where it's a it's a junior game, but it doesn't doesn't, doesn't strip like it. everything out. You know, it's not where it's like I don't even recognize this anymore. It's Catan. It's mm-hmm. junior five. It's simplified. 
My number eight is Outfoxed. Uh, this is a deduction game. I wanted to throw one of those on there. It's a cooperative deduction game in which Fox has stolen something. You're trying to gather clues about who the fox is and then revealing uh, yeah, those, people love those foxes. Game. And uh, my kids really love it. They love figuring out, okay, the, the, the fox that we're looking for has a necklace. So all these, you know, these foxes that we've revealed don't have that, so we can get rid of them. You know, and the excitement of like, oh, this guy's, you know, they flip it over and it's like, well, this one's got a cape and we're looking <laughs> for somebody with a cape, you know. And the, so the, the fox is slowly escaping. You're rolling dice to try and get your actions. You need to roll uh, pause to reveal suspects and or uh, pause to reveal clues about the suspect. And there's like little eyeballs on the dice that reveal cool. the foxes. And there's a little... Like a little decoder box that you slide the card into, and then you slide the window open, and uh, it tells you if it has it or not. So it's a pretty neat little system. Uh, the, the kids like that one a lot. Number seven, Ghost Fighting Treasure Hunters. Okay. So you're, another cooperative game. Not scary. You're you're teaming up to swipe all the silly, ge- right? Yeah. Yeah. You're, t- you're you're teaming up to swipe all of the gems from an eerie mansion before the haunting takes over. So every turn, new ghosts are coming out onto the board, and they're little rubber, fun-looking ghosts. They're not scary. And the thing I like about this game is it's cooperative, so you can help the young kids, and it's got ways to level up the difficulty. So okay. as kids get older, you can make the game harder. You can them. make the game harder cool. with a lot more uh, tension going that on. One. So that's a good one. Next one, number six, and this is, uh, I put Rhino Hero on. So Animal Upon Animal is a, popular stacking type game yep I know rhino hero to me gives me a bigger range i can play with younger kids and and adults are playing this game and you're stacking cards it's still that dexterity element it's it's competitive so you're playing against each other you're trying to stack cards on top of each other and then you're moving a little rhino through the building kind of building a, a an apartment building out of cards Cool. So it's a, a fun dexterity game. Number five, Ticket to Ride First Journey. Uh, this is a lighter version of Ticket to Ride. It takes out the points completely, and you're com- uh, you're racing to complete as many tickets as possible. And it's fast. Yeah, the game gets yep. done good quickly. chunky. Twenty good. minutes. It's set yep. up and put back in the box. Yep, good chunky train pieces. Good bright, colorful cards. And pictures on the board, so reading is unnecessary for for younger kids. So that's my number five. You'll probably hear more about that uh, down the down the road. Number four, I put Dragon's Breath. So there's a game by Haba, and it's a set of nine or ten what look like shower rings. Okay, and you put the shower rings on the board, and it's a you use the game box as the board. And in these shower rings, you make a little column and you put gems inside of it, little plastic gems. And going around the table, you are going to pick a color of gem that you think the most. You're going to take one of the shower rings off. Yeah. And then as you take the shower ring off, the top layer of gems are going to fall onto the board. And so the kids are taking and they're thinking, oh, they're looking at the, I think the purple ones are going to fall off. So whichever purple ones (laughs) fall off, that player is getting those and then around the table and I'm amazed by Piper is five, well we start playing when she's four she's five now but 
And she's yeah. in there and she's looking, mm, I think it's going to be blue. I think it's going to be green. And I'm amazed where I'm like, yeah. That, she knows, huh? Yeah, that's the best decision right now. So does it also work on your fine motor skills or not really? I mean, are you having to? No. no, no. I mean, you could, you could, depending on how fast you pull yeah. the, the ring off. Yeah. You know, you could jostle more, but it's not something that I really uh, get into where they're paying attention. That's children's game of the year a few years back. So yeah. That, that was a big one. Really good one. Number three I've got is Llama. Llama. Uh, which, did that just win? The, it just won. The, uh, the Spiel des Jahres? Yep. yep. So that's a German game of the year for those of you that don't know. It's like the biggest award in board gaming yeah think of like the caldecott or newberry wait or, for the for you readers out there who actually read books to i'm unfamiliar with reading things like that what are books it, uh, it the spiel de jars it when you see that label or what it's something that we'll talk about it's very similar to the caldecott or newberry it means that that's a really good book this is a really good board game can i jump in on llama quick or are you yeah, gonna take no, it? go ahead it's the it, oscar of gaming yeah oscars of gaming is this spiel de jars game yeah that's a good one doug this game we played over here at, at Doug's house and ended up buying it later that night when we got home. Our family loves it. And my four-year-old, four uh, and right when she turned four, really learned her numbers through and the sequence of numbers through the colors. The game does a wonderful job of, of bringing in youngsters. It has a little bit of that Skippo feel if you grew up playing Skippo or Uno, but it's so much better because at any point in time, you can just quit your turn and be out of the round and kind yep. of sit and watch somebody else try to press their luck all the way to the end. Yeah, so. the, the point of the game is you're trying to get rid of the cards in your hand, and the, the cards are numbered one through six with a llama card, and you on your turn, you can either play the number that's already out or you can go advance one number higher. And the llama is the card that resets it back to one. It's so fun. you can play a llama it's after a pace. six and a, a one after a llama. The thing about Michael said is you can drop out of the game. Of if the you, round. Or, yeah. or of the round. And if you have, it doesn't matter how many twos you have. At the, So say I have four twos in my hand. I might drop out because at the end of the round, I'm only going to get two points. You only count one of them. If you got llamas in your hand, they're 10 points at the end of the game or at the end of the round. So you don't want those in your hand. But as people drop out, if you can finish the round yep. and have no cards left, you get to give uh, one of your point chips back. The interesting kind of cool part is that the 10-point black, 10-point uh, chips are black. And so if you happen to go out on a round, you can get rid of one of your black point chips. That's 10 points off the, the top of your score. So... It's a really good, like Michael said, teaching numbers, but there is, some people say there's a lot of luck in there, and it is, but there is, there's some decent skill on when to, when can I drop out, when can I push my luck, so and that's low my score number three. wins. Yep. It's a good one, Doug. My number two is Concept Kids Animals. So my kids love this one. All it is is a, you take a, it's a, a game board with a whole bunch of kind of ideas on it colors uh, meat eater plant eater where do they live and uh, your kid and it, the funny thing is the kids are the ones giving you the clues yeah so the kid draws the tiger card and then they're putting little markers on the board to tell you what it is so they might put a marker on the the orange they might put a marker on the black and they might put one on the striped and they might put one on the meat 
and they might put one in the jungle area. And it's amazing to see the way that your kids think. And you have fun playing concept? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, can get, it can get stale if you don't have a structure to it and kind of put okay. a limit on it. It's like there is a, a tipping off point. But the skills that it's teaching and how much my kids enjoy it, and it puts them in charge of the game. It's not me telling them what to do. Mm. They're the ones giving the clues. And so it flips the whole thing, you know, on its head and forces them to sometimes think out of the box. And once I find out, you find out what the animal is and you say, okay, I see what you did there. I wasn't thinking that. Or, and sometimes they're very literal with the picture on the card. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, the fur was a little bit gray on the card. And it's like, I think Uh, if that's a a brown fur animal, but the, the fun that they have. Just Good. seeing them in charge. That's that's the big takeaway on that one. And the last one I have on my list is Ice Cool or Ice Cool 2. This is a flicking game where you're trying to flip flick a penguin with a little ball bearing at the bottom of it through a school. The boxes are what builds the school. Yeah. So all the boxes like fit together. Though, yeah. Yeah, it's good. And the kids love it when you take turns when person's a hall monitor. In fact, the other day we just set up, we got Ice Cool 1 and Ice Cool 2. Put you There's directions inside the box to put them into a major big school and do a race. You can play a team game in a race. And as you get older, you can do a little trick shots. <laughs> so I've got the ability to jump from one room to the other, depending on how you, you hit it, which is frustrating to my kids. But I think that's another one that the dexterity level when they're young, maybe not the greatest, but there's a lot of legs for that game to grow as they keep getting older. Yeah. And I'd have no problem playing that with a group of adults either. So there, there's one that I was waiting for, especially on a list of 12. I'd like to add one on here. Is that okay, or is this exclusively Doug's No, list you here? tell me. Impact. Impact is a great game of just smashing dice and rolling dice into each other. They have different symbols. So and any, go how, ahead. how much do your kids like this game? A lot. Okay, because my kids don't. That's why okay. I didn't put it on the list. That okay, yeah. I think they think I enjoy it, and I know that it's yeah, it's no, all luck. It's it all did, random. Yeah, but hold on now. It gets, it's not, but I can see why somebody would say that. It gets a lot of playtime in our house. The other th- reason why I really like Impact, because what you're doing, you're throwing dice into into the box, but it's basically an arena. And whenever there's a matching pair or more, you take those dice out of the ring or arena. And the purpose of the game is to be the last person with dice in your hand or a die in your hand. Here's why I really like Impact. It's something that my four-year-old can play with her abuelita. We can bring it to the table, and she's playing it with her grandma, you know, and, and playing for a couple of rounds. You have that great interaction, and then the kids are gone, and we can play our Shanghai Rummy or other board game that that we're gonna play. And so I like that aspect of the game. That one, it can be done. Any ages can play it. We enjoy it in our house. Oh, I I love the game. Yeah, I yeah, my kids are mad that I always want to pull it out. Okay. So I don't want to imply that I yeah. don't like the game. Okay, yeah, and no. I do know that there's a there's strategic things that you can do. Yeah. But by and large, the kids, I don't want to say they're not picking up on it, but you can have the best strategy in the world, and if the dice doesn't roll your way, it's not you're not winning. 
Yeah, but you can here's the thing that I didn't say about it, not to give away the whole game, but I will. You can decide to throw one or throw them all. And I've got you know, my youngest throws them all every time. Every time she throws them all. You can throw them all in? I thought yeah. you can only do one at a time. No. No, Are you, you sure? Decide. Yeah, maybe we got a house rule that we've been modifying. We'll have to <laughs> correct this in the future. All right, uh, let me pause right now. Doug, oh, we have a house rule <laughs> where you can throw as many in as you want, I should say. No wonder why our kids don't like it. They can only throw one at a time in. Let them throw them all in. It'll no, then they get frustrated when that when you play with the special abilities. That Well, there, it's That's not even a special too. ability, right? When there's – how does that work out when, there, when you have to throw – when there's nothing in there? Right when everything gets pulled out and it's empty, then everybody yeah. has well, to throw all empty, of them. When it's empty, you have to throw, have to all, throw in all in, in there. Yeah. Yep. So that's yep. what leads to the tears in my house. So that, that's a game that that I really like. That our kids like. It, it's truly a five to ten minute game, and yep. it's done. But it brings people together, and then you can go your own way too. Yeah, I love dice chucking. Yeah. So it yeah, it's, it's always on my requested list, but. It strongly gets vetoed, but it's certainly a great game. That's a great list, Doug. And all of those can be played with kids under 10, huh? 10 and under? I, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And and the why, I wanted to do a list that had, it's 10 and under, but in a lot of cases, it can go probably as low as four. Yeah. And and up to 10 and grow with, with the players. Well, I have a number of games I want to buy now, which should okay. make everyone in my house excited. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, good. I'm glad for you. So hopefully some of those games were interesting to to you guys out there, and we are going to wrap some things up. If you like what you heard today, consider subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you like what we're doing here, please consider leaving a review, but only if you plan on leaving a five-star review. Take a screenshot of your review and send it to us at GameSchoolerU, and, and maybe we'll work something out for you. And follow us on Twitter at GameSchoolerU to stay up to date and learn about what's around the corner. You can download your free copy of Naming a Virus today at GameSchooler.com, where we have a full database of our recommended games, along with new skill builders, subject builders, and discussion guides dropping all the time. So on behalf of Michael and myself, thank you so much for spending the last hour or so with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Now get out there and start game schooling.